Our text, our focus for this morning is going to be from the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. But we're going to be reading a little bit more than that. We're going to start reading at Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. Matthew 27, verse 57. This is the Word of God. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, We remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. 
The grass withers, the flowers fade. Indeed, the kingdoms of this world come to nothing, but the word of our God will stand forever. Just under 2,000 years ago, a cold body was taken down from an instrument of torture and execution. The hours of agony were over for the one who had been killed, but the time of mourning had just begun for his friends. They, they gathered around, those who could be gathered, those who could be found at least, and they did what they could to prepare his cold body for a hasty burial. Time was short, the, the Sabbath was at hand, so they laid the man in one of their own family tombs, a new tomb, laying his cold body on a cold stone slab. And before night fell, they, they closed the tomb, sealing it with a great big stone, lest robbers or wild animals should desecrate this sacred place. The next day, those who had been most instrumental in putting their friend to death had guards placed at the entrance to the tomb for added security. They didn't want anyone messing with the body. They, they had just put this man to death. They didn't want his followers to continue his mission in his stead. In fact, so great was their, their fear that they even had a seal placed across the tomb's entrance, barring any from entering it, lest the wrath and the power of Rome, the greatest kingdom the world had ever known, should fall on them. And so for three days, Friday, Saturday, and the beginning of Sunday, the body lay there. The man's friends grieved their great loss. The man's enemies continued to scheme. But for those three days, that cold body remained cold. Until, all of a sudden, it was cold no more. And as the light and the warmth of the rising sun chased away the darkness and gloom and chill of night, the greatest event in the history of the world began to take place. One who had been slain by the power of men was raised again by the power of God, and all the schemes of wicked men and devils came unraveled at once. But we're actually told very little about what happened inside the tomb that morning. Matthew, here in his gospel, he, he gives us the view from the outside. Matthew was a careful historian, uh, gleaning through eyewitness reports, stitching the facts together, bringing, us this, this, uh, bringing together an account of this, that, that the greatest triumph in, in history. Here, as Matthew records, death is undone. Death is undone. Now, now you might say, yes, but had, hadn't death been undone before? Had, hadn't dead men and even, even little girls who had died not been raised before? Well, yes, but none of them had remained alive. They, they lived out the rest of the course of their human lives, and eventually in God's good time, they died once more. Now, what makes this event, unlike all those other raisings, is that this, this man, this man raised here, was raised not as one who was snatched from the jaws of death, that cruel monster. No, no, this one, this one 
had undergone death as a victor, not as a victim. He went through death not because he was unable to do otherwise, but he went through death because he was the champion who would break death's jaws and rob it of its powers. And so I have the immense privilege and the great joy of proclaiming to you the gospel this morning by echoing the angel of God, he is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. And as we consider this great event, we're going we're gonna to do so by looking at the text in three sections. First, the commotion in verses 1 through 4. Second, the commission in verses 5 through 7. Third, the comfort in verses 8 through 10. The commotion, the commission, the comfort. So first, the commotion. A whole lot of things going on at once. In verses 1 through 4, we're, we're introduced to three parties. And all of them are coming together to the same place, to the tomb of Jesus. But all of them were there for very different reasons. We, we see the women in verse 1 coming to anoint the body of Jesus. We see the angel in verses 2 and 3 coming to announce the resurrection of Christ. And we see the soldiers, the guards, who'd been sent there to, to fortify the tomb, folding in the realm of the dead like those who themselves had been consigned to death. And we begin in verse 1 with the women. They, they'd been introduced to us already in, in Matthew 27, verses 55 and 56. There were also many women there looking on from a distance as Jesus was crucified. They had followed Jesus from Galilee. They'd come down with him into Judea, into Jerusalem, and they'd ministered to him both there up in Galilee and also down here in Judea. Now, unlike most of Jesus' disciples, these women had been witnesses of Jesus' crucifixion and death. In 27 verse 55, Matthew tells us that, that they watched from a distance as Jesus was crucified and died. And then in verse 61, he tells us that, that, that they followed Nicodemus and they followed Joseph of Arimathea, seeing where the body had been laid. They were there as Joseph and Nicodemus buried Jesus in Joseph's own tomb. And now, as dawn breaks on the first day of the week, they walk from the city or from whichever town they were staying in to the tomb to see it to see where Jesus has been laid. In Luke, in his gospel, he tells us that they came to the tomb in order to anoint the body of Jesus. See, in contrast to our modern practice where this type of work of preparing bodies for burial is relegated to professionals, in Jesus' day, indeed in every setting really but our own, this work was carried out by the friends and the family of the one who had been deceased. It's more than likely that, that these women, Mary and Mary, had, had carried out this kind of work before. But you must, you, you must understand that, that when they walked to the tomb, they fully expected to come to the tomb and find Jesus there, cold and dead, because that's how death works. It, it, it's irreversible. People don't just rise from the dead. When, when God came to Adam and, and to Eve after they'd fallen into sin, he made this clear to them. They were creatures of dust, and they would return to dust. But as they were walking along the road to the tomb, somebody else was coming there as well. And Matthew tells us that there was a great, a great earthquake. The whole, the whole earth started shaking. But this was no ordinary seismic event. The earth quaked because an angel of God was descending in power and glory. His appearance, Matthew tells us, was like, was like lightning. 
And his clothes were white as snow. The power and the majesty of heaven had broken through into the gloom and death of earth. And this angel descends from heaven. He comes to that tomb. He rolls back the stone. And he sits on it. And now nothing's been told us yet about the resurrection, but, but you know that something remarkable has just happened. And you see how almost nonchalant this angel is. He, he rolls back that stone and just sits down. It, it reminds me of that scene from the Lord of the Rings. The, the great fortress Isengard, the home of the evil sorcerer Saruman, has been torn to pieces. And when the, when the heroes of that story come to that fortress fully expecting to be met by a mighty opponent behind great walls and fortifications, they find instead two of their friends, not fighting a battle, but, but sitting amongst the ruins of this once great evil citadel, smoking their pipes in peace. By, by sitting on that great stone slab, the angel is declaring that a great victory has just taken place. And now you might ask, well, why an angel? Let me read this to you from Psalm 35. The psalmist talking about his enemies, talking about his opponents, those who stood against him. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. Let the, let the net that he hid ensnare him. And let him fall into it to his own destruction. The presence of the angel of the Lord, an emissary of God, a warrior of God, lets us know that God has arisen and by his might he is putting all his enemies to flight. And, and we see this dramatically as the angel does two things. He rolls back the stone and sits down on it, demonstrating an absolute domination over death, and he absolutely terrifies the guards, demonstrating a simple disregard for the affairs and the powers of earthly kingdoms. The one who sits in heaven, Psalm 2, the one who sits in heaven laughs at the schemes and the feeble power of the mightiest of men and empires. The Lord holds them in derision. I nearly started chuckling when reading about what the, the religious leaders and Pilate did to make the tomb secure. The, 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 the chief priests and Pharisees come to Pilate. They say, Pilate, we'd like to make the tomb secure. We'd like to make it safe. We'd like to lock it up. And Pilate says, you've got a guard of soldiers. Go ahead. Make it as secure as you possibly can. And so Matthew, you can almost hear him laughing here in verse 66. They went and made the tomb secure. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, no, they didn't. Because we see these guards, and what are they doing? What are the guards doing? They're not standing there at the entrance of the tomb, barring the way to keep the body inside and to keep the women outside. No, no, no. We see this great reversal, don't we? Those who have been sent to guard the place of the dead have now themselves become just like dead men lying on the ground. Now, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you'll know that just about every time an angel shows up, they tell the people they're about to speak to, do not fear. But the angel says no such thing to the guards. No, they ought to fear. They ought to fear. 
But the angel's got a different message for the women, a different message for the women as he begins his commission to them. The guards should fear the women. The women should not. The angel leaves the guards there all bowled over like dead men lying on the ground, just about ignoring them. And he turns to the women and gives them these wonderful commands, this great, almost this pre-great commission. And you see there, don't you, the casual disregard the Lord himself has for the powers of this world and the tender love that he has for his beloved saints. The angel ignores the men in their, in their strength and armor and weapons. They're of no significance to him. But he turns to the women with their spices that they've lovingly prepared for the honor of their, Lord's, their Lord Jesus' body. And he, says to the, and he says to them, you, now you, don't be afraid. And, and the way that it's put in the original, it's like they were terrified at first, seeing the angels, just like the guards, but the angel says to them, no, 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 it is not time for you to be afraid. The time of fear, it's, it's, it's over, it's behind you. It's not time for you to be afraid, it's not time for you to mourn, it's not time for you to weep. I know that you are looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. These guards, they're enemies of Jesus, but you're his friends. Therefore, you have no need to fear. All the world rose up against and despised and crucified Jesus, and you feared for a little time, but fear no more. He's not here. See, the women and the guards, they, they were there because they were certain that Jesus was there and would remain there. But the angel comes to announce his rather conspicuous absence. He is not here. And he's not absent because his disciples have taken the body. He's not absent because his body had been taken up into heaven. He, he's not absent because they're at the wrong tomb. No, all of the excuses of the world and of the enemies of God fall short of this glorious reality. He is not here, for he has risen. He's been raised by the power of God, just as he said. See, Jesus had told his disciples before that this is exactly what was going to happen. Three times at least, he had told them that he was going to Jerusalem to be judged, to be tortured, to be killed, and to be raised from the dead on the third day. He told them plain as day that he had power both to give up his life and also to take it up again. And now Jesus had done exactly that. Just as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit had planned from before the foundation of the world, This Christ, once crucified, once dead, was raised again. Death could not hold him. Death was too weak. And just so they could see with their own eyes, the angel says, come on in. Come on in and see the place where he lay. Hear my message with your ears and now see with your eyes. He's not here. He has risen. And having told them that news, he then commissions them to go and spread the news to the disciples. The grief that had gripped the women had also gripped the disciples. And they know less than these two women. They need to know that their master, their Jesus, is alive. They needed to be reminded of what he had told them again and again. And not only were they to tell them the news, but they were also to tell them that Jesus was going before them into Galilee. Jesus was going to meet with them. The sheep had scattered when the shepherd had been struck. But now God sends his messenger to these women before him 
to speak comfort to those sheep and to gather them to him once again. And now before I move on to the final point, I'd like to make a few points just about the significance of the resurrection. It is, after all, a crucial part of the most important event in the history of the world. And the first thing I want to point out to you, and I know to most of you this is blindingly obvious, but it's worth saying the first thing I want to point out to you is that the resurrection is a historical reality. There are some who want to blunt this fact by making it a mere story about the moral of good triumphing over evil. There are some who put it in the same category as myths about Greek and Roman and Egyptian gods and goddesses and heroes. There there, there are some who say simply that Jesus just fainted on the cross and woke up in the tomb and walked out himself. There are some who persist with the myth that the disciples stole the body. There are some who say that the disciples and the other witnesses just dreamt up or hallucinated the whole thing. But Matthew and the other eyewitnesses would have us believe no such thing. The Bible presents this story as fact, as nothing less than fact. In fact, as as, as the New Testament goes on to say, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the best attested facts in all of human history. He appeared at one time to 500 people, most of whom were still alive at the time of the writing of this gospel. And the gospel accounts themselves deal rather directly with all of these these myths about the resurrection. The the women and and the disciples put themselves forward as those who had not only seen but who had also walked with and talked with and had eaten with and even touched the risen Lord Jesus. This is no myth. It is a simple historical fact. And secondly, if it's a fact, and it is, my beloved brothers and sisters, it changes absolutely everything. Everything about your past, everything about your present, everything about your future. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God means that his sacrifice on the cross was, without the shadow of a doubt, accepted by God. So your sins are dealt with. They're gone. You are reconciled to God. The resurrection is God's underlining and exclamation point uh, on, on that fact. You need never worry that Christ's sacrifice wasn't enough. God was pleased with Jesus' sacrifice. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead in addition means that already now we are living resurrection life. See, if if you believe in Jesus, then, then, then his life is flowing into you. He's the vine. You're the branches. He's the head. You're the body. What is true of the head has enormous ramifications for the body. What's true of the vine always affects the branches. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead means more, though. It means that you will also one day be raised from the dead. You will one day also be unkillable, just like Jesus, your Lord, and your head is. One day, Paul tells us this in in, in 1 Thessalonians, one day Jesus will return on the clouds of heaven, and on that day, not only will his grave be emptied, but yours will be too. Don't forget, we we confess in Lord's Day 1 that my body belongs even in death. My body belongs even in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood was poured out and his body was broken not only for the sake of our souls, 
but for the sake of our bodies as well. Now, 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 people in the world, because they know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God, they have a number of different responses to death, don't they? When death is finally, unavoidably encountered by them. Because you do understand, don't you? But you can't put off death forever. No, at the time appointed by God, every single person will die. The only question is whether it will be a good death or a, or a fearful death. And some respond to this, to this reality of death with, with stoicism. Right? Not going to let that bother me. At a funeral, you'll see them there, stiff upper lip, very Victorian, unfazed by the horror of death without Jesus. It's just a part of life, they tell themselves. The circle of life. We eat plants. We die. Plants eat us. Others are a little more honest. They, they, they recognize death to be an enemy of life. You, you saw this over the past few years as people did all they could to push death away. They didn't know what lay beyond it. They didn't have any confidence that they'd outlast death. And on top of this, to, to, to deal with this anxiety about death, they come up with their own vocabulary to deal with their conflicting emotions. And we actually pick up on this. We, like the world, we, we, we talk about passing away instead of talking about dying. But, but that's not really good language for us to use. And I've done this myself far too often. It's not the way the Bible talks. In fact, this phrase, passing away, has only been in, the, in, in, in common English parlance for about 150 years or so. And it was brought into the English language by a cult leader, not by a Christian of any kind. And really, it's not the kind of language we should be using. Death is no longer a fearsome opponent. We don't need to fear speaking its name. Because of what Christ has done, death is a defanged demon. It's a maimed monster. It's got no sting to it anymore. That's why Paul all but dances on death's grave. Hey, death, he says, where's your sting? He's mocking death. Hey, grave, where's your victory? So how ought we as Christians to respond to death? Well, in a word, we ought to respond honestly. We're not to celebrate it as though it's a good part of creation. It's certainly not. We ought to hate it. We ought to mourn when people die, as is right, but we also ought to know that death is a defeated enemy. Death is a defeated enemy. And because we do not fear the reality of death, we need not shy away from using the vocabulary of death. Its teeth have been broken. It's been humiliated and turned upside down by our Lord Jesus. Our, our champion has won. Satan's champion has not. Death itself is bound for destruction, so let us join in the joy of the triumph. And Mary and Mary do just that. Verse 8, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Having been sent, having been sent by the angel with this prelude to the Great Commission, they, they run off with both fear and great joy. They've heard the joyful cry of victory, but, but they still have these mixed emotions, don't they? But all the same, they're running off to announce the good news to the disciples. They're, they're faithfully carrying out this task that God has given them through his angel. And as they run, as they run, who do they meet? They meet Jesus. 
And this day just keeps getting better and better and better. They see the one their souls love. Jesus intercepts them. It's as though he said to himself, I'm not going to wait till Galilee. I'm going to show myself to them now. And, 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 he, and he greets them. Greetings. It's like he's saying good morning to them. Like nothing has happened. But they know that everything has changed. Nothing will ever be the same again. They know, they know something now that they may never have known with this clarity before. Jesus, they know, Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is, is worthy of the same honors they have always given to God. Jesus, they must now realize Jesus is God himself. If they never knew it before, they know it now beyond a shadow of a doubt. And, and look what he says to them. Just like his messenger had told them earlier that, 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 that very morning, do not be afraid. Again, Psalm 34, Psalm 34, 4 and 5. I sought the Lord, and He answered me, and He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at Him are radiant, and their faces are never ashamed. These women had come to the tomb as soon as it was light, and they had come afraid. They were afraid then because they were sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that death had taken Jesus from them. But he tells them not to fear. Why? Because death has not taken Jesus from them. Jesus has taken death from them. And so he tells them, and he tells us as well, do not fear. And he sends them once again to his disciples to tell them what's happened, to tell them to meet him in Galilee. This is one of those hinge points in human history one of those hinge points in the, in the history of the world, everything has changed. Nothing will ever be the same. But it's our Jesus. It's our Jesus who's doing the changing. And so you know, like those women knew, you know that it's all as good as it could be, because Jesus wants no ill for us. And in the future, let me tell you, in the future, it'll be better than anything, than anything you'll ever be able to dream up, because Christ is risen. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, giver of all perfect gifts, we join the heavenly choir to herald the news that you have defeated the powers of sin, death, and condemnation by the victory of Jesus Christ, your Son, over the grave. We confess that the circumstances of this present age often rise up to testify against the promise that you have declared in your word. Nevertheless, we bring the experience of our hearts under your judgment. You have raised Jesus from the dead as the firstfruits of the whole harvest at that last day. As in his resurrection, you have brought the new creation into this passing evil age. By faith, may we know in this life that we have been raised up with Christ and seated at your right hand. And by sight, may we know in the life to come the resurrection of our bodies. 
all this we pray with joy and thanksgiving. In Christ's name, amen.